You are listening to Episode 3 of Double Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 5, Diurnia Orbital, 2358, July 2nd. When we docked at Diurnia Orbital, I got the full benefit of Confederation Customs Inspection. It wasn't really the first time, but they were much more thorough than on Newmar. Perhaps it was because I had always traveled on freighters in the past, and this was my first passenger trip. The rest of the passengers didn't seem all that surprised, and Kurt even escorted his very reclusive employer voluntarily into a private inspection booth, or perhaps that was just how the rich people did it. Kurt smiled and nodded once in my direction as he disappeared behind a blank door. The rest of us presented ourselves and our goods at the long lines waiting at the banquettes, behind which stern-faced inspectors in rubber gloves waited. It seemed a waste of time to me. They'd had the ship's manifest for days as we maneuvered into the orbital. Our luggage had been sniffed and rayed as it was brought aboard, but the Diurnian customs officials, man and woman alike, had the same no-nonsense expression, as if they expected to find something and woe unto the unlucky passenger who neglected a line on the declaration form. All told, though, it really didn't take all that long to clear customs. A few questions. Where are you coming from? Why are you here? Where are you going? And an examination of my credentials. A perfunctory examination inside my grav trunk and a fast body scan were all behind me very quickly. I stepped through to the arrivals lounge and caught up with the luggage that had taken one last alternate route through some kind of magnetic resonance scanner. Leslie March was standing there with a pair of graph trunks and signing for them as I stepped up. She gave me a warm smile and winked without saying anything. We'd exchanged contact information before leaving the ship. I didn't expect she'd call, but one never knows, and she was a very considerate woman. I thumbed the receipt for my own single trunk and tagged it to trundle along behind me. I had a couple of days before my appointment with Diurnia Salvage and Transport to settle my contract and begin work, so I needed to find a hotel. After forty days of cooling my heels aboard the Ellis, the last thing I wanted to do was wait around the orbital, but my appointment was for July 5th, and then I'd find out what ship and when I'd be able to board. Stepping out of the arrivals lounge onto the gently curving corridors of the orbital's one deck, I felt like I was coming home somehow. Well, I'd spent a lot of time studying cargo and cargo handling in the Newmar orbital, and summer cruises had taken me to several of the orbitals around the Venice quadrant, Diurnia was going to be my new home port. Unlike the Lois McKendrick, which was registered in New Far Nuke and spent her time plying the extended spaceways across the Dunsany Roads quadrant, my new berth, the first as third mate, I thought again to myself with a little shiver of disbelief, would be based in Diurnia. I wasn't sure which ship I'd be going on, but Diurnia Salvage and Transport operated among only four systems in the quadrant. I could expect to see a lot of Diurnia Orbital over the next few stanyards. As much as a spacer saw any station, I reminded myself. I paused at the observation window and looked out at the fast packet Christiana Ellis where it nuzzled up against the small craft lock on the dock below. I marveled again. My next trip out would be aboard a freighter, and would probably take nearly as long to reach the Burleson limit on the outbound leg as the trip from Newmar had taken in its entirety. I snorted an amusement and pulled my trunk along the corridor in the direction of the lifts. I knew I could find a reasonably priced hotel up on the seven-deck, and I needed to get settled in for the next few days. 
having all the orbital stations standardized under the rules of the Confederated Planets Joint Committee on Trade made them very simple to deal with for people who saw a lot of them. There were always spacers needing rooms as the ships came and went. The rapid turnaround of ships and crews and the very predictability of the process made the operation of the various hotels and hostels very easy. I could have gotten a bunk in a transient hostel at about a quarter of the cost of the room, but knowing I'd be shipping out again soon and having gotten used to my privacy on the Ellis, I decided I could afford to splurge on a few nights in my own room. Once I got aboard as third mate, my privacy was probably going to be cut short, as I would quite possibly be sharing with another of the junior officers. Within three stands of docking, I was settled in my room, had my trunk stowed, and my civvies hung in the closet. While I'd been wearing my own ship suits on the way out, I was ready to get back into civvies. I took a few moments to double-check my accounts and go over my paperwork, just to make sure I hadn't confused any of it in my head. My tablet linked into the station net without any problems, and I was able to access the normal communications traffic, ship movements, station events, the normal access for messages. I didn't know anybody in Diurnia to send a message to, so that was rather mood at the moment, but I took a few moments to drop Diurnia Salvage and Transport a quick I'm on station message to let them know I'd made it and would be keeping my appointment on the 5th. So I sat there, remembering my first day off the Lois McKendrick, sitting in a hotel room on Dunsany Road's orbital, albeit much larger than the one I occupied in Diurnia, and paid for by the ship. The feeling of I'm alone now threatened to overwhelm me then. The sense of it, even almost five standards in the past, rushed over me and threatened to overwhelm me again. The sense of rootlessness, of unconnectedness. It was a cold hand in my guts. I shook myself and muttered, get a grip. But I remembered a small packet at the bottom of my trunk, and I went to the closet to pull it out. The small zippered pouch held all I had kept from my mother's goods. When she'd been killed back on Nerys, much of her stuff went away either charity or trash, some small amount of her writing and her ashes had gone to storage. The storage agreement expired while I was in the academy, and her effects were forwarded to me at Port Newmar. Most of her books and almost all of her papers were discarded. Her ashes I scattered at sea offshore of Port Newmar. She'd have liked that, I thought. I'd only kept these few pages and photos. I didn't look at them often, but I'd riffled through them a few times in the last three stanyers since they'd been forwarded to me. The papers contained her marriage license, dated March 3, 2328, and a divorce decree, dated May 21, 2335. Both were issued here in Diurnia. My father's name was there on both of them. Franklin Prescott Huang. Talk about non-sequitur monikers. I had only vague recollections of my father from before we'd left Diurnia and went to Neris, but... In the papers, there was also a photo of a young man sitting at what appeared to be a restaurant's table, smiling into the lens of the camera. He looked something like me, I suppose, but that young man was apparently my father when he was courting my mother. The time stamp on the back read February 2327, but it had faded almost to illegibility over the Staniers. Mother never displayed this picture, but she'd shown it to me when I was young and asking the where's my daddy question. Theoretically, he was here in the Diurnia Quadrant. At least that's where Mother had always said we'd left them. Looking at the official Diurnian documentations of marriage and divorce, that seemed to be the most likely scenario. I wondered in passing if he were still alive. I paged through the thin packet once more, looking for anything that might prove a clue as to my father's whereabouts. On a whim, I fired up the tablet and looked up Franklin P. Wong in the local data repository. 
no hits. I looked up Franklin Huang, got no hits. It didn't mean much. He could have changed his name or just gone underground by removing his name from the directories. After 20-odd stanyards, that trail was rather cold. I took one more long look and shrugged. Without his ID number, any investigation would hinge on luck, and I felt like I had used a lot of it up in the last few stanyards. I sighed and stuffed everything back into the zippered pouch and stowed it back in the bottom of my trunk. The message icon on my tablet acknowledged the receipt of my note to Diurnia Salvage and Transport, but didn't offer to ship me out any earlier, so I headed for the O2 deck. I was ready for some lunch, a beer, and maybe I could find out something about my new employer. The main deck of the station is the dock. Decks above the docks have increasing numbers. One deck, two deck, three deck, and so on. My hotel was on seven deck. By convention, docks below the main deck are prefixed by a zero. Where deck one is the level above, the zero one deck, or the O one deck, is one deck below. Above the dock are all the retail, administration, and residential areas. Below the dock are all the industrial sections. Ship chandlers, cargo brokers, any other ship services facilities are on the O1 deck. Below that is the entertainment section. The O2 deck is where the ship's crews get together and engage in many activities that are not noised about in polite company. Bars, brothels, tattoo parlors, and a variety of entertainments are available for those who have the interest and the necessary credits. One thing I'd found on every O2 deck was a quiet pub, where the brew was generally local and good. The food was plentiful and tasty, and neither would leave gaping wounds in my credit balance. On Diurnia Orbital, the place was called the Miller Moth, and in addition to the obligatory sedate neon sign with the name, there was a stylized moth wing painted on the wall. Inside, it was the laminate and leather that I'd been looking for. Booths lined the bulkheads, and tables were scattered in shoals across the empty space. I knew that there would be a small dance floor on the side I couldn't see from the door, and that most nights, the place would be full of people who were really just looking to sit, chat, and perhaps leave with somebody who might warm them against the cold of the deep dark. The main club would be almost diametrically across the station from this one, on the other side of the O2 deck. The serious meat market action happened there, but it was too early in the station's duty cycle to be too busy at the moment. I glanced around the place as I crossed from door to bar. A few people were scattered here and there. It was a 24-stand business after all, so somebody was always arriving or leaving at an odd schedule that didn't match the stations. A couple of engineering ratings were holding down one end of the bar, muttering quietly to each other over beers and burgers. I slipped onto a stool about halfway down, and the barkeep, a broad-shouldered woman with hands that dwarfed a pint glass, smiled as I pulled up close. Hi, a spacer, new in town, she asked with a lopsided smile. I laughed, yeah, just made port this morning, I told her. She held out one of those large hands and said, Welcome to Diurnia Orbital. I'm Jen. What can I get you? Thanks, I said, shaking the offered hand. I'm Ishmael. Can I have something light in the beer front, one of those burgers? I asked, nodding my head in the direction of the engineers at the end of the bar. She bobbed her head, a small nod of acknowledgement. We dickered over the various conditions, condiments, and accompaniments. In a matter of what seemed like moments, I had a cold beer and a hot burger absorbing all my attention. The barkeep hovered just out of direct line of sight and generally kept out of the way. Neither the engineers nor I were terribly demanding. She putted around behind the bar, straightening glassware and polishing the gleaming laminate. 
Nothing planet-shattering, but all aimed at having the optimal setting for the customers. She moved with the practiced efficiency of a pro. So what brings you to our fair orbital? She asked after my initial engagement with Berger was successfully underway. I just graduated from the academy, I admitted. Diurnia Salvage and Transport offered me a berth. You came all the way from Port Newmar? Yep, I assured her, just got in this morning. We passed a pleasant stand of minor chit-chat while I ate and had a second beer. It was early in the day for me, but with nothing to do and nowhere to go for a couple of days, it seemed a good way to chat up the barkeep. Eventually, I thumbed the tab, adding a nice gratuity. I'd be coming back often, so I wanted to leave a good impression. And she was kind of cute. Chapter 6. Diurnia Orbital, 2358, July 5th. Between sleeping, eating, and exploring the Diurnia Orbital, I didn't have a lot to do. While I waited, I reviewed all the publicly accessible information that I could find on Diurnia Salvage and Transport. Even before I'd accepted the offer back in the Academy, I'd done some homework on the company. DST was a smallish concern based in Diurnia. They started out around the middle of the last century doing salvage work and bulk transport under contract to the Confederated Planets as the CP developed across the quadrant. The current CEO was the son of the founder, a man named Jeffrey Maloney. The database reported a fleet of about a dozen ships, all specializing in bulk freight. A third of them were tankers, and the rest were ore and grain haulers. I took advantage of the station net access to pull up the local broker reports to see what DST was hauling and where. The list wasn't terribly long. Of course, when you're talking about a dozen ships in transit times of two or three months, there's not that many trips in a stanier. The sailing plans were all to or from the same four systems. Dray, Breakall, Welliver, and Jet. Dray was the only corporate planet in the bunch. The rest were CP systems. It wasn't that unusual. The Diurnia Quadrant was one of the original beads on the string that became the Western Annex. There were a lot of corporate systems out there, just not close to the Quadrant's seat of government. I dug into a few of the manifests, but they were all common cargoes. Grain, ore, raw materials, lumber, frozen food, and the occasional machine parts or farm equipment. The net turned up a list of the actual hulls. Only two of those were the newer Unwin Barbell 200 metric kiloton bulk haulers, but mostly they had older model Damien tractors and the venerable Manchester 180 metric kiloton tankers. While the Manchester-built ships would be relatively comfortable, the Damien trackers were really built for minimum crews. They were notorious for being long on work, short on crew, and uncomfortable on long trips. The barbells were relatively modern, but definitely built for power and not comfort. Their big drawing card was the single-pod cargo container. The containers were big enough to hold small ships inside them. They could be loaded in advance, stacked together, and even left in orbit. The containers were particularly valued for security reasons because they were not accessible from inside the ship. The only way you could get into a bulk container is through the cargo loading ports on the ends. When the container was mated with its ship, the ports weren't even available. The end nacelles of the hull blocked access. Loaded, mated to the ship, and then security bonded, the unwind barbells provided as secure a transport medium as was possible. As I finished dressing for my interview with the DST people, I wondered what I'd run into. My appointment was for 0900 in their corporate offices on the 05 deck. Okay, yes, I was nervous. I had to admit it to myself as I collected my tablet, made sure the room key was in my pocket, and snagged my service cap on the way out the door. The butterflies only got worse while I waited for the lift, 
and reached a peak just before I entered the nondescript office space with the oval and star logo of Diurnia Salvage and Transport on the door. I took a deep breath, let it out slowly, and entered. Inside the door was a dingy foyer. A counter ran across almost the entire width of the space with a door against the far bulkhead to allow access behind the counter. A couple of chairs, looking plastically forlorn, waited for visitors in one corner and a plastic tree lurked in the other. It wasn't exactly what I was expecting in terms of corporate office, but then again, I'm not sure what I expected. A clerk behind the counter was talking on a voice headset hanging from his left ear. He looked up when I stepped in and smiled distractedly in greeting. He held up his index finger in a hold-on gesture. Yes, sir, the Gordon Van Tassel is due later today. That container should be in the terminal about... He consulted the chrono on his monitor. Three stands, and the ship is scheduled to dock by 1800. He paused then, listening to something on the other end. Yes, sir. Thank you for calling DST. Please let me know if we can be of further assistance. He disconnected and crossed to the counter. Good morning, sir. Welcome to Diurnia Salvage and Transport. How can I help you? He asked with a pleasant smile. Good morning, I replied. My name is Huang. I'm here about a third mate's berth. Of course. Good morning, Mr. Huang, he said. We're expecting you. He stuck his hand across the counter in an offered handshake. Call me Bitters, with an S. While many may think me bitter, that's not my name. He rattled it off in a well-practiced stream, accompanied by a lopsided grin. While I shook the right hand, his left pressed a button under the counter and the door on the end buzzed. Come on back. We'll get you going. I walked to the door, and Bitters took me back to the inner sanctum. He stuck his head into an inner office and said, Mr. Nelson, Ishmael Huang is here. Thank you, Bitters. Please show him in, came from the open door. Bitters stepped out of the way and swept an open hand, palm up, at the door. Mr. Nelson will see you now, he commented wryly. He had a funny sense of drama about him, and I was smiling as I walked through the door to the cluttered cubby. There was barely room for the desk and two chairs in the cramped space. The man behind the narrow desk rose and didn't have to reach far to extend his hand to me. Good morning, Mr. Huang, he greeted warmly. I shook the hand and murmured some greeting in return. Please, have a seat, he said, indicating the only chair on this side of the desk. Let's get this ship into space. In surprisingly short order, I found myself trotted through the various forms, requirements, orientations, and assorted minutiae which I hadn't expected, but in hindsight should have. He ran through the various contract clauses, all standard, which I recognized from my semester on legal practices, and summarized my pay and benefits, again, all standard. The pay was within norms. It wasn't what anybody would call a princely sum, but was about 200 credits a month above what I knew to be the average. In hindsight, I might have negotiated for more, but I was happy enough with this deal. I remembered that some of my classmates were still looking for berths when I'd left Port Newmar, so I felt fairly well disposed to this one. With the last of the administration work done, with contracts thumbed and validated, Mr. Nelson rose once more and offered me a hand in dismissal. You've got an appointment up at medical for your physical, and after that, you're good to go, Mr. Huang, he said, if you have no further questions. His voice trailed off. No, none, I said, shaking his hand. Very well, then, he replied, assuming there's nothing odd in the physical, and really, it's just a formality for our insurance records, he admitted. We'll have you report to Captain Rossett on the William Tinker at Dock 9 in the morning. I was fairly surprised that a ship was docked and waiting for me, but chalked it up to luck. At least I wouldn't be on the hook for an expensive hotel room for an extended period. The physical wasn't something I was looking forward to, but I knew it was standard practice for officers. With a resigned sigh, I headed up to the two-deck and reported to the medical clinic. Two stands, four jabs, and an MRI scan later. I was free until morning. 
Even at that, most of the time consisted of waiting, and the majority of the questions were actually resolved by my Academy Health dossier. The clinician was pleasant enough, but cool and remote. I supposed that professional was the proper adjective, and she was certainly competent enough. As I finished buttoning into my shirt once more, she reviewed the records and said, Congratulations, Mr. Huang. There's nothing in this workup that indicates any problem. I'll forward a copy to DST, and you're good to go. I thanked her and headed out. That was it. I had a moment of jubilation in the passage outside medical, but was immediately seized by trepidation. Who were these people I'd be serving with? How would I like them? Would they like me? It was a classic case of new job jitters, and I squelched it. I knew I'd cope, so I put it out of my mind and went looking for some lunch. Jen was serving again in the Miller Moth down on the O2 deck, and I shared my good news with her. The Tinker? She asked in confirmation. You're going into the Tinker as third mate? Yeah, I told her, around bites of a very nice burger. She frowned in concentration, but offered me congratulations on my birth. I'm sure you'll make a fine third mate, she offered. But she didn't seem, I don't know, enthusiastic for me. Is there something wrong with the tinker? I asked her. She shrugged ambiguously and started polishing the bar. Not that I know of. No, she said, with a particular emphasis on the knowing part. But, I prompted. But you hear things, she admitted quietly. I don't think it's a happy ship, if you know what I mean. Um, no, I'm not sure I do, I admitted. She looked uncomfortable, but pensive, so I gave her a moment or two to respond. It's just that the tinker has gone through a lot of crew in the last stanier. She looked up at me. A lot, she repeated with emphasis. I don't know how many for sure, but you're the second third mate in less than a stanier. I let that sink in for a bit while I considered it. Perhaps they were moving up and out. Does it strike you as odd that they imported you weeks ago for birth that just opened up? She asked. Well, I think it's customary to give notice, I commented. Perhaps the current third is finishing out his contract. She looked dubious, but shrugged in acceptance. Possible. That's a short contract. Less than a stanier. How long is yours for? I considered that. Two stanyers, I admitted. But it's a standard contract, and I can get out of it without a major penalty under some pretty normal conditions, relating to health, performance, and such. She nodded skeptically. Most of the termination clauses are in the company's favor, though, right? She had me there. Well, yeah, I admitted, but... Even in my limited experience, it seems normal for the company to hold the better cards. True, she admitted in return. Do you have a probation clause? I sighed. Yeah, I had to admit. If we don't like each other in the next three months, the contract can be terminated by either side. She looked thoughtful. Well, maybe that's it. They're just having trouble finding thirds that fit in. She didn't sound convinced, but it was rather a dead-end conversation and was making me a bit uncomfortable, truth be told. How long you worked here, I asked, stirring the conversation into a new course. Oh, she stopped wiping the bar and looked up at the overhead, thinking. It'll be three stanyers in a month, she said. You'll like it. She grinned and nodded. Yeah, I do, she admitted. I know it's a bit of a cliché, but it's also rather exotic. I mean, I could wait tables down on the ground, but up here, we got people from all over the Western Annex dropping in. Mostly ship people, isn't it? I asked. She shrugged a little and said, well, yeah, this is the O2 deck after all. Not many tourists come down here. So why don't you work up above? I asked, glancing in the direction of the restaurants higher up in the orbital. She grinned. Well, I used to. I like the clientele down here better. Working people seem to have more respect for working people. I chuckled a little at that. Good to know, I commented. 
I drained my glass, thumbed a tab, and stood up from the bar. I'll let you know what I find out, I said with a smile. I'll report aboard tomorrow. She held her hand out over the bar. Good luck, Ishmael, she said warmly. Hope I see you around soon. I shook her hand, and if I held it a little longer than might have been necessary while she smiled up at me, well, she didn't pull back quickly either. A hail from the other end of the bar broke the moment, and she smiled shyly at me as she turned to deal with her customers, and I left the Miller Moth for my room. Thanks for listening to Double Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. The music is a medley of jigs. Eavesdroppers, both meet and drink, and off we go by Great Big C from their debut self-titled album. Find this and other songs by Great Big C at music.podshow.com. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 license. For website and more information on the Golden Age, visit www.solarclipper.com. <laughs>